reading today is Romans chapter 13 and verses 1 to 14. Romans 13, starting at verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray as we come to God's word? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy in revealing yourself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We pray now as we look at what it looks like to live in view of that mercy that you would help us to come humbly to your word and make us ready to change and make us more like Jesus as we look at this. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, what difference does being a Christian make? Sometimes it's drastic, isn't it? Uh, Like... John Newton, to name one, from slave trader to abolitionist and author of Amazing Grace. For others, uh, perhaps you're more like me and don't really remember a time before you didn't trust Jesus. Uh, And so it's much harder to see what difference being a Christian uh, makes. Maybe you 
look at friends and colleagues uh, around you, and they seem to have a pretty similar life to you. Well, that's what Paul is addressing in this section of Romans. What difference does this salvation that he's spent 11 chapters talking about, what difference does that make now? Or as Rob put it, what do we do in the gap, the gap between becoming a Christian and reaching heaven? Well, you remember uh, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, uh, was the, the summary of this section, the key verses. So I'll read them again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Worship and be transformed. That's what Paul says life should be in this gap. But what does that actually look like? Last week, uh, Andrew helped us to see we have three new relationships. A new relationship with God, with each other, and with our enemies. And this week, as we continue on in this section, we're going to see three more new relationships. A new relationship with authority, a new relationship with our neighbour, and a new relationship with the future. So let's start with that new relationship with authority. You don't need uh, me to tell you that this year our relationship with the government uh, has been different to probably any other year. We've had lockdowns, uh, furlough, uh, vaccine rollouts, Everything has changed. Sometimes the government's been criticised for being too slow, sometimes for going too far. And doubtless there have been temptations to think that uh, we know better, or even to act like we know better. When Paul's day, there were plenty of uh, conquered people who wouldn't have thought much of Roman authority. Uh, Many Jews would come under that category, uh, a conquered people uh, who resented the people ruling over them and would do anything they could to get rid of them. Paul himself, we know, uh, as we read through Acts, wasn't always well treated by the authorities. Uh, He was beaten on occasion, locked up, thrown in prison. And so Paul realises that it would be easy for new Christians to think that Now they have declared that Jesus is king. That means they can, in fact, ignore any other king. In fact, maybe they should ignore any other king if Jesus is their Lord. But Paul says no. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. That is, Christians are to play their part in an ordered society underneath whatever form of governing authorities their country has. Why? Paul gives us two reasons. First, that this is how God created things. Verse 1 of chapter 13, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities 
for there is no authority except that which God has established. So the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God had, has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. See, ever since Genesis, when God put humans over the animals, there's been a hierarchy of command. The fall was uh, caused by a turning upside down of that order uh, as humans decided to go their own way. And ever since that, sin has made keeping that order uh, the right way round really difficult. It's in our instinct uh, to want to disobey the rules, uh, to press that red button uh, when it's put before us. But Paul tells us we're to remember that God is always at the top of that hierarchy. And he is the one who has put governments above us. And so if we want to obey God, we need to obey the people that he has put above us. The second reason we're to do that, Paul says, is to avoid punishment. Verse 3, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. He is God's servant to do good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but because of conscience. See, part of the pattern that uh, established by God is that governments have justice systems. In this country, we have uh, the courts, the police. All these things reflect God's justice. So if we want to be on the right side of that justice, we should follow the law as it's given to us. Now, um, you might be uh, thinking at this point uh, of all uh, many times when uh, this is hard or indeed not the right thing to do. And there are many cases where that might be true. I don't want to spend too much time caveating all this, um, otherwise we're going to lose the force of what Paul says. But there are two things in this uh, passage that hint that this isn't just blind obedience. That's not what Paul means when he says submit. Although we're uh, to put ourselves under the authority um, that is over us, we see that God is the higher authority. So if our rulers, uh, whoever they may be, are instructing us to do something that is clearly a sin, the choice has to be to follow God's higher authority, not the lower one. And it's clear as well, isn't it, that there are times when rulers do hold terror for those who do right. And in those cases, Christians must follow their conscience. The Bible gives us plenty of examples of this. Uh, in Daniel, uh, for instance, and Acts. And it would be good to look at those to help us to think about those. But uh, for now, in our individualistic society in the 21st century, 
uh, with a, a great and perhaps growing mistrust of authority. I suspect our tendency is more to, to look for the loopholes rather than think how we can better follow this. Remember, we're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is, that's what we're aiming for. Now, Paul is clearly talking about uh, state government here. They're the ones who bear the sword uh, and who we pay taxes to. But have a look at verse 7. Uh, this lets us broaden out the principles to other areas of life. Anywhere, in fact, we're put under someone else's authority. Verse 7, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, if revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. So at work, for instance, our boss is owed our respect because of their position, regardless pretty much of whether they're any good at being a leader or not. So to get practical, uh, again, at work, worshipping and being transformed uh, might mean staying out of the staff room gossip about your boss. Giving them the respect you owe will mean working as instructed, even if you don't think it's the best way, even if you're working from home and they won't actually know. It will mean not bending lockdown rules to suit what we'd like to do, or going just that little bit over the speed limit uh, because it seems safe to us. All of these are hard things to do, I know, without resentment. But that's when we're to remember that their authority comes from God and we seek to please him, not them. So having spoken about our new relationship with authority, Paul uh, almost skips back to chapter 12, uh, to what he talked about there, to love. And we see a new relationship with our neighbour. Verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. At first, it might seem that this doesn't match very well with chapter 12. If you remember there, we were told to let love be genuine. Here we have a debt of love. I don't know about you, but calling a love a debt seems like a good way to make sure it isn't genuine at all. It's something that we're forced to do. But if you think about it, there are actually two different ways to be in debt. One involves two parties. John borrows some money from Catherine, and so he owes her. And it's easy to uh, start begrudging and grumbling at that kind of debt. But there's a kind of debt that actually involves three parties. If instead of John borrowing money from Catherine, Dave gives John some money to pass on to Catherine. In that situation, John still owes money to Catherine, 
until he passes that on. But it's not coming out of his own pocket. He's been provided with what he needs to fulfill that debt. See, Paul has spent the first 11 chapters of Romans telling us about the love God shows us. Now he's saying that this love is meant to be passed on. And I think that way of looking at how we are to love others is transformational. See, rather than loving people because of what they've done for us, whether or not they can help us out, uh, or whether they can, uh, whether we like them or not, no, instead we love them because God has given us his love to give to them. So when Jesus sums up the law as love your neighbour as yourself and is then asked uh, who your neighbour is. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember, the, the Good Samaritan had no worldly reason to love the injured man that he came across. He wasn't going to gain money uh, or influence. He wasn't even going to get praised as a philanthropist but he did have a debt of love, and so he took pity on him and looked after him. Paul says that this is the sort of love that the law is all about. The second half of the Ten Commandments and all the other moral and civil laws in the Old Testament, Paul says they were there to help people love each other. Maybe stating the obvious, but murder is not loving. And so God said, do not murder. So if that's what the law is all about, then by loving, we're fulfilling it. And if all you do is love, then you've kept the whole law, which is exactly what Jesus did, isn't it? So this being transformed that Paul talks about, it means that we won't just Uh, make time to listen to our closest friend who's in trouble, but we'll make time for anyone who needs it. It means we won't stop helping someone out when we don't get anything in return, but we'll keep loving them, whatever. It means that each day we will ask ourselves, how can I pass on the love that God has given me to every person that I meet? How can I fulfill the debt that I have because of the amazing love that God has shown me? So, uh, becoming a Christian, worshipping and being transformed means a new relationship with authority and a new relationship with our neighbour. It also means new relationships with God, each other, and enemies. And the final new relationship tells us why. Our new relationship with the future. Have a look down at verse 11. And do this, that's everything that he's talked about in the last two chapters. Do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now, than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. 
Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, or in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. As we reach the end of this section, Paul tells us why we should have these new relationships. Because we should be awake. Before the gospel was revealed, we were in darkness. We were in night. But when Jesus returns, it will be bright day. And we now know that that is coming. If we've heard the gospel, we know that that day is coming when Jesus returns. And so we should expect to be acting differently now. A change of that magnitude uh, coming in the future requires us to change now. So there are some things that uh, seem reasonable in the dark, but feel rather less good in the day. Sleeping for eight hours is one. Uh, I remember when I was at uni, uh, coming downstairs in the morning to find all the empty bottles and glasses and snack packets from last night's party still out. It was never a good way to start a day. <laughs> Paul wants us not to be wasting time clearing up that mess. Even so, less so, creating mess. When the day is so near, he wants us to act as though the light is already here. But if you're like me, uh, it's hard to keep thinking about the future that in many ways seems so far off. It's much easier to think about what I want in the here and now and how I can get it. It's much easier to uh, watch another episode instead of calling a friend I know needs support. It's much easier to bend the rules a little to make my life easier. And that's why Paul wants us to be clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can be transformed and do those things. Putting on a change of clothes can completely change your mood, can't it? You come home all mucky from a day of work outside and put on some nice comfortable clothes and relax. Or you get up in the morning, put your suit up on, do your tie, and already the mind is jumping towards the office. That's the image that Paul is using here. Clothing ourselves with Jesus will change our mindset. It will get us in the right mindset to have new relationships, to stop doing things the old, worldly way. Notice how this isn't to uh, take on the character of Jesus, to work hard to be more like him, although it does require uh, work from us. But if that was all it was, then this would be little better than a self-help book. Now, Paul says we're to clothe ourselves with Jesus himself. In other words, to take advantage of the Holy Spirit, to take advantage of the unity that we have with Jesus. Then he will be our armour of light, Paul says. And we will be able to live this way with the new relationships. 
So as we're transformed, we have these new relationships, a new relationship with authority. We're to submit and respect them. A new relationship with our neighbours. We have a debt of love to everyone we meet. And all of it is because of that new relationship with the future. We should live in the daytime because that is what is coming very soon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word in Romans. We thank you for the mercy that you've shown us. And we thank you that we know that a day is coming soon when Jesus will return uh, and it will be day. Pray that you would help us as we continue to reflect on these things. Help us to live uh, in these new relationships, clothing ourselves with Jesus. Help us particularly as we continue um, to be under uh, many restrictions from the government to help us. Uh, to learn to submit to them well. Help us in all things to love you and to love our neighbour. In Jesus' name, amen.